Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. Looking forward to uh, to another show here as we're right in the middle of the growing season with all kinds of stuff going on out in the fields. And when I think about what's happening on our farm, there's, there's so many things. We're getting ready for the Ag PhD Field Day that's coming up two weeks from today. I can't believe it. It's already here. Well, because we still uh, have a couple little spots out there we're trying to plant. Not not at the field day site, but on our farm. And that's one of the one of the discussions. So I had a chance to uh, to ride around a little bit and look at some crops today with uh, Dr. Jerry Willem. He works with AgriLiquid. But uh, Jerry was, was in town and passing through and I got to spend a little time with him. And so we were out looking at crops and it was amazing, you know, just looking at uh, unplanted acres, looking at the tiny little bit of crop that got in relatively timely and comparing to some of the crop that got in just throughout the way this spring. It's it's amazing. It's really starting to grow, which is encouraging because, you know, some of it's just not going to amount to much, I'm sure. But uh, the, the question got to be, will it make it? Will it make it in time? And I was talking to an agronomist this morning, too, and he said, all right, I'm looking at corn. We're eight leaves away from tassel. And there's some that's not even that close to, I'm sure. But he said, what about this one? Uh, farmer I'm working with is, is a little nervous about it. And, hey, if we get an early frost, he should be nervous. But if we get a normal frost, we're going to make it. You know, we're probably going to have a little wetter corn there than we normally would. And that's one of the things that we've been talking about is, hey, if you're going to be needing to dry some corn – better start thinking about, is it a good time to buy? If prices are low right now, are they going to stay low when lots of farmers are, are buying, you know, fuel in, in the fall to dry that corn down? Now, you may say, well, hey, our area, there's not much corn. So no, there isn't going to be much demand. It probably isn't going to change. Okay, that may be fine. Uh, we were kind of thinking the other way that we're better off locking things in now so we just know for sure what our costs are going to be and supply and and all that 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 can be an issue from time to time too. Uh, we're also looking at some soybeans today and our soybeans are really starting to bush out. I, I was amazed at just, you know, you could look, uh, you can't, well, you could be out every single day, but, but I'm not out in every field every day. So it'd been a couple of days since I'd seen some of these fields and I was like, wow. I just looked on Monday or Tuesday in this field, and I can't believe it. We get a little bit of heat and a little bit of sunshine, and things really take off. So if you're one of the guys that's down in the dumps, um, give it a couple days and just see how things look and if things get a little better. If you've got crop planted, uh, at least things are going to get better. Now, uh, as far as the fields that aren't planted, Oh, unfortunately, it's been a great growing condition um, week here for many of the crops. It's also been that way for the weeds. And we're seeing just some monstrous weeds out there that are going to be tough. So please don't put it off any further. If you can get out in those fields, do it. Um, the problem is in some areas it just keeps raining. And in those areas, it's pretty tough to get out there. So if you can't get in those fields, you may have to consider, well, man, should I get an airplane out there just to get ahead of some of these, some of these weeds that we've got? in the field. Um, otherwise, if you can't get the ground rig through, boy, it might be a little bit of time. You know, some of these, Brian, uh, when we think about the the great big weeds out there, it's going to come down to a coverage situation. Can you get coverage on a three or four foot tall weed? Because no product's labeled for a lot of these three and four foot tall weeds that we're seeing. Yep. Oh, have you there, Brian? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, you talk about three, four foot tall weeds. Um, 
so I'm in Indiana right now and just driving across Illinois and Indiana. Um, there's a lot of prevent plant. There's a lot of crop that's really up and down. I mean, this isn't news or anything, but I, I mean, that's one of the things when you drive past some of these fields. I, I mean, I don't know if you could raise better mare's tail if you were trying to raise it in some fields. You know what I mean? So it's the same thing that we fought back in 1993 when there were millions of acres of unplanted and then solid mare's tail. So, yeah, coverage is just such a big thing. And the, part of the reason why is you think about, okay, we'll kill all the weeds that are out there, but it's what's down below. That's what we worry about is all those weeds that are down below that are an inch, two inches, three inches tall. So you kill all the top stuff, and then you go, hey, wait a second, my field is still full of weeds. So what guys did back then is tried burning everything down with Gramoxone and 2,4-D. Then they went out and did tillage. Or... For some guys, they went out and sprayed again two weeks later. Yeah, and I think if you look at it this way, okay, we got three three foot tall, just say three foot tall weeds. We probably should have been out there, what, two weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago when they were small, and we missed that window. And what would have happened had we sprayed then? Well, we would have burned them down, and now we'd be out there again spraying the next flush, and that's just what's happening. We're, we're having to go back twice if we want to get things perfect. Well, yeah, there, there's one bright side to the whole thing. We've, we've raised a cover crop of weeds. As long as they don't go to seed, they really didn't hurt anything, you know? It's not that big a deal. It's not the end of the world. So I know some guys are pretty worked up about it and everything. And granted, I am too when we've got just a handful of acres we haven't planted yet. We will yet. But anyway, it's a tough year. It's a frustrating year. Don't worry about it. Just do the best you can and go from there. But, I mean, all these prevent plant acres, guys want to spray them, and I want them sprayed. I want the, those weeds controlled before they go to seed. But you got to use something good. you got to try to get good coverage. Yeah, it's it's uh, an important thing not to get too worried about. You're right. We're not used to seeing weeds like that, and it just looks terrible. It makes us feel right. bad. But right. has it really hurt yep. us if we've got no crop out there? We haven't lost any yield, and stuff hasn't gone to seed yet. We're still okay. Right. We, right. Can, we can attack it. Yes. Yep, that's right. So it'll be fine. Yeah, I think the other thing is just in some of those acres, can you get a cover crop in? Because if you could get that cover crop seeded, that might help you with the next flush of weeds. It's interesting. I was telling some people this morning, last year we purposely killed a few acres right next to the field day site just to show drift of dicamba and where it moved and how quickly it moved. Well, what we forgot to do is tell that cooperating farmer to plant a cover crop. Now this year his corn is way shorter there where he had nothing growing, where he had fallow. You've got to get something in there on your fallow acres if you want to raise a fantastic crop next year. Yeah, you gotta got to get over what's what's happened here in 2019 and start focusing on 2020. And you're right, getting something out there growing and being productive helps us with weed control, but it also helps that soil and all the microbes in the soil so they can function for your next crop. We'll be right back. We're going to take a short break here. We'll take your calls and questions at 844 844- 44 Ag PhD. Stay tuned. Worried about glyphosate resistant weeds and grasses in your corn? Unleash the power of new Impact Z herbicide and get the early post application advantage you've been waiting for. Save $3 per acre when you combine Impact Z with a qualifying insecticide purchase. Go to buy2save3.com for details. Buy 2 Save 3 is a service mark, and Impact Z is a trademark owned by AMVAC Chemical Corporation. All rights reserved. Impact Z is a restricted use pesticide. Always read and follow label instructions. Find your full potential and increase your bottom line with branded generic fungicides from Atticus LLC. 
Fungal diseases can be devastating, but Acadia, Slant, and Talaris 4.5F from Atticus deliver lasting, broad-spectrum fungi control so your soybeans, sugar beets, and dry beans can thrive. Growers across the region count on Atticus for relevant and reliable products that deliver results every time. Ask your local retailer about Atticus products and visit AtticusLLC.com to learn more. For value-based solutions you can trust, turn to Atticus. Always read and follow label instructions. What if you could protect your soybean plants and reduce yield loss from white mold? Cobra herbicide can help you jumpstart the natural defenses in your soybean crop against the heavy yield loss white mold can cause. This season's wet weather, cool temperatures, high humidity, and moist soil are prime conditions for white mold. And Cobra is a cost-effective way for you to help protect your soybeans. Apply now to jumpstart your fight against white mold with Cobra herbicide. Visit your local retailer today to learn more. Always read and follow label directions. You got in the field. Well done. That wasn't an easy task this year. Now give your corn everything it needs to get the job done this season. At Side Dress, adding agro liquid nutrients to your nitrogen can economically and efficiently boost potential. It's not too late to supply the nitrogen, potassium, sulfur, and boron your corn needs to reach top yields. We can help you develop a successful nutrition program for your corn. To learn more, visit agroliquid.com. back you're listening to ag phd radio we're broadcasting from the morton studio today and our topic is going to be corn rootworms and whenever i start talking about corn everybody's curious well what's going on with this market do we have some opportunity here is it a good time to lock things in so we got our friend scott harms with grain phd on scott thanks for joining us good afternoon darren all right, so the USDA released their July supply and demand report earlier this morning. Can you give us a quick rundown on what they had to say? Yeah, I think the um, the, the report itself wasn't uh, a real surprise by any stretch. Uh, I think the reaction, the initial reaction anyway, market-wise, uh, was a surprise. They pretty much left uh, the new crop balance sheets uh, unchanged except for the carry-in estimate. Uh, the big change uh, was a cut in old crop uh, export forecast and also the feed side. So they messed with the demand side of uh, the old crop balance sheet. And that's certainly not a surprise. The numbers were telling us uh, that the number the USDA was using was too high and that there was going to have to be an adjustment lower. And in fact, there may be another adjustment lower. They could still be another 50 million bushel uh, to 100 million bushel too high on their export estimate uh, that they may have to adjust going forward, depending on what we get export-wise going forward. But they left the new crop numbers unchanged, corn and the acreage and the uh, um, a, um, yield numbers. And so that carried in with a higher carryover in numbers. So the initial reaction was lower, uh, but uh, I think in the end people used that. Uh, there was there was probably a lot of speculative trade and also the end-user trade that uh, was waiting for a break in the marketplace to try to extend coverage, get some long positions in place, and they were going to wait and see if the numbers provided that. If they were really quick, uh, they were able to do that. We crashed it around $0.09 cents right after the report was released at 11 a.m., but ended up turning around and closing closing higher. I think this is uh, the uh, first uh, report in a long time, uh, two or three years probably, where we actually had some negative numbers but a bullish reaction. I think it's a good sign for us moving forward. Yeah, yeah, that sure is. Okay, well, the one that I was curious about was the corn yield and corn acreage, and they left that unchanged. Was that a surprise for you? Yeah, I, mean, I don't think it was. It wasn't a surprise, and I would say no, I wasn't surprised. I wasn't. I was thinking that that would be an area where there could be a bullish surprise. 
Uh, historically, the USDA and the NASS, the National Association of Statistics, uh, I think is the acronym, um, they actually, NASS actually does the survey of the acres in for that June product, that June report, the one we got two weeks ago. That was the real bearish shocker. And traditionally, uh, 99 times out of 100, I think, the seems like the USDA, who is a different arm that provides these supply and demand numbers, they just adopt that uh, NASS number. But uh, if there was ever going to be a year where you could argue that they could make their adjust, they could make an adjustment outside of what the NASS came up with, uh, I thought it was going to be this report. And I thought also that they could uh, even drop yield down a little bit. They punted on it. Uh, I don't know if it's not a big shock. It's not a big surprise. I mean, they basically followed their own protocol. USDA doesn't uh, normally make assumptions. They like to base their decisions on data and, and uh, the information they have in front of them. And the information they had in front of them from just two weeks ago, even though we know that that acreage number is too high, everyone in the trade realizes that, and the market realizes that based on where it's priced at right now. We know that number's too high, but that was just a an easy decision for them to leave that unchanged. But uh, I think they're both going lower in future reports. Uh, the August uh, production report will be the next one we'll watch, and that will give us a better indication, certainly. But uh, no, I guess I'm I'm not overly surprised, but I was kind of hoping that they would... Uh, I thought it could be a surprise to trade if they did reduce it. Yeah, I thought so too. And I, I guess you're right. I, we should be thankful that they are going off of data and all they can work with is the best data they have to this point. So I guess that leaves us looking forward to the August report for any real information on what this crop size is going to turn out to be. Yeah, once we will have, um, it, that will be the biggest report of the year, I think, initially, because you're not only are you going to get um, updated acreage data from they're going to resurvey 14 states following they announced that after the release of the data two weeks ago they were going to resurvey 14 states so those figures will be in they'll be baked into the uh, acreage estimate that we get in their in their uh, balance sheet um, on the release on August 12th but also we'll get uh, will be through pollination I think projection is at this point will be um, mostly pollinated by then, or at least around that time when they start collecting data. I think um, it is projected that half of the U.S. will be uh, pollinated around August 3rd was the projection based on planting dates, the 50% planting dates. So uh, we'll be into that that time frame at that time, so we'll have an idea what the pollination weather is going to be like. And then it's the first report where they actually go out there and they check populations, and I think they do ear count as well. Uh, there may not be a lot of information available to them, but uh, it'll be the first real good look at the size of this crop, uh, one that at least we can base some real opinion and some real uh, price projections on, and then ultimately you know, look to where we need to get some hedges in place. Yeah, some of these fields are so variable, too. When you get out there, you think, oh, it looks pretty good here, and then you walk uh, 100 feet a different direction, and you think, ooh, yeah, maybe it's not as good. I don't envy anyone trying to estimate uh, what kind of yields are out there, but with so much uncertainty out there as to just what kind of crop that we're going to have and ultimately um, how to price that, how, how do you manage the risk as you move through this? You certainly have to be getting lots of questions that way. Yeah, this is a difficult year because, you know, we've talked about this before. We, you know, we've got, you know, our customer farmers and people that work with us in grain PhD, they don't know what they're going to produce. So it's really hard to to get uh, put a plan in place when you don't know, um, don't have a real good handle on what you're going to be able to produce. And then also, 
a year like this is a year where you really have to be mindful of the management of risk from a money management standpoint. Um, hedges, you know, people, the, one of the more efficient um, hedge pro- products out there is using the futures market, but that's going to carry some margin risk. And this is a, a market where we know we're going to get this, it's going to be difficult to get this crop to maturity. That'll be the battle um, as you move into late September and into October. And if there is some kind of early end of the growing season, you know, God forbid, um, you know, prices are going to, you know, are going to go sharply higher. And you're going to have, if you're in dabbling in the futures market, you're going to have some money management issues because the margin calls are going to come hot and heavy. So, uh, you know, at this point, we're looking for alternatives to that. And, um, you know, just have a hedge program with put options is a, a great place to start. We, you know, for our one of our programs we manage, we well, are looking to scale into hedges between four seventy and five dollars every ten cents from here. You know, so we've got a ways to go before we trigger that. But you can do that using options. You don't have to use futures. So basically you would do a projection. What would you want to try to spend fifteen we like to spend twelve to fifteen cents on an option. So you just price project what that particular option what an option would be worth. There's all kinds of different alternatives. But try to find one that would it would what would it be an option that would be worth fifteen cents when it's at four seventy? What would be an option that'd be worth fifteen cents when it's at four eighty, four ninety, and five dollars? And then you're scaling into put options. You buy a put option, you're putting your money up front. There's no additional cost. So if the market explodes to five fifty or to to six dollars on some crazy news uh, or circumstances, then you're not you don't have all that extra exposure. So we're looking at programs like that. Uh the other area you would look at is just focus on the cash market. That's gonna be it's been really strong lately. It's probably gonna continue to be strong. Certain areas are gonna be stronger than others. So you focus on a, a basis and when the basis tightens up you get a cash alternative, step in and, and price it in the cash market and then want to reown the upside in case there's some kind of uh problem down the road, then you look to options and focus on buying call options to reopen that upside. Uh, but if you are going to use futures, um, and certainly they are an efficient tool, uh, I think I would look at buying you know, some out-of-the-money calls on a dip, try to bring a price dip, and spend $0.10 cents on an out-of-the-money call option. You don't care necessarily if the market goes to $5, but you really want to be careful. You know, If something would happen and we would have early into the growing season, we'd go to 550 or $6, you want to be able to you know, offset some of that margin risk. So by, you know, like a 520 call, December 520 call, out of the money, spend a little bit of money uh, as more of it's almost like a hedge against your hedge in a way. So those are the things we're, we're looking at right now. Everyone's going to be a little different, what, they were, what they're willing to take on risk-wise. Um, so we just try to customize the plan best we can. It's all great information. Once again, uh, Scott, you'll be joining us at the Ag PhD Field Day coming up two weeks from today. So anyone that wants to talk to Scott or anybody else in the Grain PhD team, they can swing by the Grain PhD tent or uh, check them out as we're speaking as well. Thanks a lot, Scott. Really appreciate it. All right. Look forward to it. Take care. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. When it comes to my weed control, I know a head start can go a long way. That's why I spray early, so I can keep control all season long with a Roundup Ready Extend Crop System, the system that makes the difference. This is my field. Choose the Roundup Ready Extend Crop System for control of more weeds than any other soybean system. 
featuring Extendamax herbicide with VaporGrip technology to manage tough-to-control weeds, including up to 14 days of soil activity, along with the field-proven performance of Roundup Ready to Extend soybeans. Now you have the right tools to extend your weed control and extend your yield with the system that makes the difference. Learn how you can put the system to work in your field when you visit RoundupReadyExtend.com. Extendamax is a restricted-use pesticide. Performance may vary. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Check local regulations for specific requirements in your state. Interested in strip tillage? You should know about the Soil Warrior from ETS. With one-pass efficiency, optimized nutrient placement, and reduced production costs for higher profitability, the Soil Warrior brings the future to your farm. Visit SoilWarrior.com to learn more. Increase your productivity with Hypro's Dual React Control System. The dual nozzle body design allows you to drive at the speed you want while maintaining the rate and droplet size you need. Hypro, helping you spray better. As your corn crop grows and the ear begins to form, potassium is at a high demand, almost as high as nitrogen. The same is true for soybeans with similar high demands of potassium during pot fill. Don't fall behind and ensure your crop is getting its potassium with Catalyst. Catalyst by Actigrow has been shown to be the best at entering the leaf when compared to other leading potassium products. Visit k-supercharged.com for more information. Build with the best. When you choose Morton Buildings for your next farm storage building, you'll experience the Morton Advantage at every step, starting before the walls even go up. Since the value of our buildings is in its ability to protect what you have stored inside, we ensure that every component is researched and tested to withstand the elements in all weather conditions. And we back it up with the strongest warranty in the business. Looks better, built stronger, lasts longer. Learn more at MortonBuildings.com. Find your full potential and increase your bottom line with branded generic herbicides from Atticus LLC. Tough broadleaf weeds are a hassle, but they're no match for Cavallo from Atticus. Cavallo delivers fast, contact, and residual control so your corn, soybean, and sorghum crops can thrive. Growers across the region count on Atticus for relevant and reliable products that deliver results every time. Ask your local retailer about Atticus products and visit AtticusLLC.com to learn more. For value-based solutions you can trust, turn to Atticus. Always read and follow label instructions. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton Studio today, and we're talking about corn rootworms, and we're also taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can send us an email as well, radio at agphd.com. Got some really wacky pictures that have been coming in the last couple of days of just some unusual things happening out in fields. Fortunately, I think in each of those cases, it was a real small area of the field. But yeah, 2019 sure uh, throwing us some curveballs, no doubt about that. I've got TJ Bins with us right now, Syngenta down in Kansas. TJ, thanks for joining us. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for inviting me. All right, so what kind of rootworm year has it turned out to be so far in 2019? So far, for the most part, it's been pretty light hatch, but I think with the GDUs we've had early on, we're just really getting into the to the peak of it right now at this point in time. You know, that is that is a good comment because a lot of guys are looking at the calendar and saying, well, I should be done with this by now, but we're at least a couple weeks behind, and in some areas, guys would say we're closer to a month behind, so it makes sense that it takes an accumulation of heat to get these bugs to come out. 
Yeah, it does. And, you know, everybody always looks at the size of corn because normally we have a certain size that we're really digging for. But, you know, through this part of the world, at least, it's, you know, from four inches tall where they've had some hail and replanted to starting a tassel all at the same time. So it's going to be a one of those years. All right. So, you know, at this point, we're, we've started doing some root digs. I know uh, this morning we had a number of guys out uh, digging roots up, and I'd strongly encourage if you're listening to the show today, go dig some plants up. Look at what's going going on below ground. I mentioned we're seeing some goofy pictures of weird, wacky things happening above ground, and I very rarely get somebody to send me a picture of what's happening below ground. But I don't know, TJ, what do you think? For me, that below ground tells me more of this story a lot of times even than above. Well, usually we find the below ground after we have the goofy above ground. Yes. Um, you know, yeah, we never were looking. On above before, then they start digging and find <laughs> out what happened down below. But, you know, you got to stop and think, what what's supporting that plant and what's feeding that plant? Yeah, we need some sunlight and leaves for photosynthesis, but... Our root system is basically what is supporting it and getting in all of its nutrients and moisture and everything else throughout the rest of the growing season. All right. So there's been a move uh, or a shift the last few years is trying to save some money and guys moving away from rootworm BT type products going to more above ground protection. And, hey, it's been okay on some of the above ground pests, uh, earworms and such. We've we've actually, I, I like it when we're protecting from that, but I, I really... Boy, you're taking such a risk when you don't protect against those below-ground pests. What are we giving up, TJ, besides just corn rootworm control? Well, yeah, and the other thing that you have to remember is is we really don't have anything to save us if we do have corn rootworms below ground at, the, at that time in the growing season. Right. We don't have any products that will actually penetrate through there. But, you know, on top of this, we're going to pick up a lot of the secondary pests like wireworms, white grubs, seed corn maggots, and things like that, too, that are going to help your stand. You know, when you talk about that, some of those that you mentioned are, are really getting a lot of calls uh, for us this year, wireworms being one of them. Guys saying, mm-hmm. you know what, my neonic on the on the seed treat just wasn't enough to handle the kind of pressure that I had this year. Uh, right. what, do you, what do you see with that? When you use something like force, for example, uh, at planting time, how, how much does that help us on, on these secondary bugs, like a wireworm, for example? Well, it's going to help dramatically. I mean, yeah, we're using a seed treatment, but it's just like everything else. We can overload anything we have out there. And and due to, you know, a lot of their applications got delayed this year, we had a lot more of a a nice uh, place for the the, uh, eggs to be laid, and that's why we're probably seeing an increase in the amount of wireworms. But, you know, it's the combination of them is taking care of the wireworms, the grubs, and, and all those secondary pests because we never know which one we're going to have. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. And I, I did get a number of calls on cutworms too this year, and uh, it's one of those things. There, there is a difference with uh, the different types of insecticides that you could use at planting time in corn, and certainly when you've got a pyrethroid in there, you do a little bit better job on the cutworm. Right, right, and it all depends on how systemic that product is at the same time too. Okay, so you're changing up formulations on on force. Uh, what did you mm-hmm. see this year with the with the new formulation you had? So we have two new formulations within the last couple of years. We've changed over our liquid formulation, so it, it, it handles much better. Fertilizer compatible because there's a lot of growers that don't have insecticide boxes on there. Um, so that way you can put your starter on at the same time along with using the Force Evo. Our other products, what it came out this year is for 6.5G. And with both of these products, we've got the same AI we've had for years. 
Um, and you know, usually you think a new thing's better, but you, with force to, to excuse me, the Tiflutherin, it's a proven product and it still works. Um, all we've done is made it more user friendly, easier to handle. We've made it a higher load, so we're getting more acres per pound. Um, and we're able to have to handle less bags during the growing season, and we're also producing less dust than what we were with the Force 3G. So as you're dumping those in, the bags into your insecticide boxes, you have less dust to deal with. Well, I sure like the less dust. I know just dumping dumping bags into the planter, you're just constantly getting stuff blowing around. It's never calm. Right. It's always windy. And that's one thing I know uh, that we've, we've talked about for a long time that, man, you got to be smart. You're only out there for a little bit of time. Wear, wear protection for your eyes, wear a dust mask, those kinds of things just to be safe. But, but less dust is a big deal. The other thing is these concentrated granules. And I, I talked to more than one farmer this winter that was a little nervous about this. I said, man, everybody's going to more concentrated stuff. How is it going to work? I'm just going to have to be so fussy and my calibration, right? Is that the real key here, just to make sure you're calibrating each year? Well, it's the same as always. You have to calibrate, but uh, we have a very good tech team in Greensboro that they ran a lot of different tests through equipment to make sure that it was going to give us the the, the rate that we were looking for. You know, the, as long as it hadn't been sitting out in the weed row for 15 years, everything's been working just fine. That's good. It, you know, there's one other bug that I wanted to talk to you about here. It's white grubs. And I, I talk to farmers all the time, and they see the advertisements with some of these different seed treatments that are out there, and they've got a picture of white grub along with the other bugs they're controlling. And I don't care which insecticide or which uh, seed treatment package we've used. We, we always have trouble if we don't put something down in the furrow, too. And whether it's force or, or another um, dry or liquid product, we need some more help more than the seed treatment. Do you, am I wrong in this? Have you seen seed treatments do it alone? No, I'm, I'm kind of with you. It feels like they do a part of the job, but not to the, the levels that we need them to be controlled. Yeah, I think they uh, are a mild nuisance for the white grub. <laughs> and he says, uh, maybe I'll come back in a couple weeks here or something. But uh, I don't know. They, they've they been bad in spots this year, too. And we, we haven't, I guess, I, I'm kind of along the lines of uh, the rootworms. Uh, maybe they came a little bit later this year. I know we definitely saw uh, June bugs out there, which is, is a sign that, oh, boy, yeah, I guess the grubs are... Grubs are going and they're out working in our fields. Um, are, are there other things that you're seeing as you're out doing some digging and doing some looking in the cornfields? One of the main things that I've seen this year is across the corn belt, it seems like our planting conditions were not great. And so to begin with, we've already got a root system that's not as developed as we should have. Uh, a lot of those acres were planted when it was way too wet. And so we're seeing a lot of tomahawk roots, roots just running straight down the, the seed slice that are, they're had troubles closing. Yeah. So that's the one thing that I'm sure a lot of people will be getting phone calls here in the near future once they get a little bit of wind and this corn gets a little bit bigger and starts laying over. Initially, everybody always thinks it's going to be rootworms, but just go up and you'll find out real fast usually. Yeah, I think the the big takeaway that I've got is just get out there and do some digging and see what's going on and then split open some of those stalks too. Uh, a lot of times, you know, when we see, we talk about rootworms today, but ultimately you're, you're having feeding on the roots, so the roots aren't able to catch as many nutrients. And also you've got an opening there where disease can get in, and that's, that's not a good thing too. That's why we really like, even where we're using traded corn, we like using at least some insecticide in the program too 
to 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 help us with secondary insects and also just trying to kill enough of those bugs before they have to take a bite. Been talking right. with TJ Benz with Syngenta down in Kansas. TJ, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time and good luck to you here this growing season. Thank you. We're talking about corn rootworms on our show today, but also taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll be right back. Using NSERV Nitrogen Stabilizer with Fall Fertilizer Applications keeps nitrogen available into the spring for maximum crop growth. Field trials in Iowa show NSERV delivered an average revenue increase of $22.96 per acre, and NSERV is the only recognized nitrogen stabilizer product in the Iowa Nutrient Reduction Strategy because it reduces nitrate leaching. That's max profit in an environmentally sustainable way. Calculate your field's profit potential at nitrogenmaximizers.com. How do you know when to run your grain bin fans? There's an app for that. With the Steps GMS app, you can manually turn your fans on and off from your smartphone. You can also configure the Steps GMS app to automatically turn fans on when the humidity or temperature is ideal to keep your grain in top quality condition. Save yourself some time and take the guesswork out of managing your stored grain with the Steps GMS app. Contact us at stepsgms.com for more information. Customer service goes a long way when trying something new. Ryan Shaw from Michigan shares how Soil Warrior helped him transition to strip tillage in his operation. The Soil Warrior guys, they are amazing to work with. They made this jump in this transition extremely painless. One question that I get all the time is, how is the service and everything? And I said, well, actually, I get better service from them than I typically do my dealers uptown. They're just amazing. More info at SoilWarrior.com. Your independent spirit is more rewarding than ever before. Unlike incentive programs that require growers to purchase a particular seed brand or to bundle certain products, the FMC Freedom Pass program rewards you for making the best choices for your fields. You decide what's best for your operation, from pre-plant to harvest. Your retailer and FMC take care of the rest. It's really that simple. The exclusive agronomic rewards, performance assurances, application innovations, and product financing of the FMC Freedom Pass program make it easier to protect your crops and cash flow. That's what we mean when we say we give you more freedom in the field. You'll experience more control and confidence, too. Generics and imitators can't promise that. Visit your authorized FMC retailer or fmcfreedompass.com to calculate your potential financial incentive and learn more. Every farmer knows that in order to be profitable, you need to maximize the return on your crop input investments. Hi, I'm Scott Harms, an agrist specialist with Grain PhD. Without an effective and flexible strategy, your grain marketing plan gets stuck in the mud. With Grain PhD, you get the clarity and guidance a solid marketing plan needs. Our free GrainBridge software simplifies your cost-profit analysis, and our risk specialists are here to help you develop your plan. Sign up today at GrainPhD.com.
Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today talking about corn rootworms. And whenever we get talking about insects, uh, we'd like to bring our friend Bob Hooten on. He works with FMC. Bob, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing very well. Finally, we're getting dried out just a little bit. <laughs> yeah, this year, that's a good thing. Now, normally in July, uh, we don't like that. We want to say, man, we're catching the rains. This year, it's the exact opposite. But what kind of impact has that weather had on insects? Does that mean we're going to have more or we're going to have less or it, it doesn't really matter? doesn't really make a great deal of difference in insects. Sometimes it shifts the type of insect you have. Well, we got Japanese beetles running around all over down here in Missouri. Rootworms pretty bad over in Kansas. So, you know, in reality, the crops that are really doing very well, we're going to have to put some inputs into those crops so that we get as maximum yield as possible to make up for all those flooded areas. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Well, these Japanese beetles, uh, what are you running with on them? What What's making the difference? Because we've got corn in some of these areas that's starting to uh, tassel and put some silks out, and, boy, those Japanese beetles seem to be Johnny on the spot. Yeah, the problem that you have is they're out there in the billions, and, uh, you know, a product like Hero at four ounces will do a real good job knocking them back. Um, however, if you have a lot of them coming back in, you know, you might have to make a second app. But generally, if you're just trying to protect those silks, uh, you get that first app on there, knock them all out, and then, you know, the silks will go ahead and pollinate. And you'll do okay as long as you don't have 100-degree weather. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're hearing about western corn rootworm beetles and other beetles starting to come out, too, especially as we get down into the middle part of the country and south. We've had enough heat. Uh, what about those beetles? We, we get a lot of questions from growers. All right, I see that I've got beetles. Uh, does Is there any way to estimate how much rootworm damage I had in my crop based on the beetles, and how important is it to kill them? It's very important to keep them managed. Um a good good example, I mean, I've been in the rootworm business for 40 years now. Threshold's one beetle per plant, and if it's a 50-50 ratio, that means you got one female for every two plants. If you say she averages 300 eggs, and a female can lay anywhere from 100 to 1,200 eggs, let's say 300 eggs, and you get 90% control with whatever type of insecticide you use at planting time, and Mother Nature takes a few of them out. You've got, you know, uh, uh, just a few larvae left, and your your crop will tolerate that. But if you start with 10 beetles per plant, then you've got just an ungodly number of, of uh, larvae at the end of the year or, you know, starting in the next year. So I tell people if you're running three to five beetles, you probably want to put a spray on to knock those beetles back. Now... You know, we should learn from the Palmer Amaranth water hemp days. Don't keep using the same chemistries. We've been using the BT events, and they're all four, you know, BT events are basically in the same class of chemistry. So shouldn't have surprised us that we were going to get cross-resistance to that. What you have left, basically, is OPs or pyrethroids. So we have a product called Steward that I would use on the adults. The Steward is a different class of chemistry. So if you want to protect the stuff at planting time, let's use something different on the adults in the fall of the year. And it's very important growers scout in the fall of the year because they have no idea what their pressure is going to be in the field. You also don't know whether the resistance is coming from your field or maybe it's your neighbor's uh, 
could be 10, 20 miles away, those beetles coming into your field that have resistance. So it could be you have resistance beetles coming into the field, laying eggs, and that you're going to have, re, you know, BT resistance uh, in your field that you're going to have to deal with. Yeah, that's that's a big deal. And I, I think about the BT traits. I like using the BT traits, but I also like putting insecticide out. So I got a couple different ways I'm going at these bugs. Talk to us about what you're seeing with the Thrive 3D system, uh, putting capture out in a whole different way to try and get better coverage. Okay, the Thrive system, the reason we developed that was a lot of people just didn't like uh, you know, handling granules, and they didn't really have a good way to put things on with the liquid. So we developed a system where we uh, have a liquid with our, ins- with our uh, insecticide, and we also have a fungicide-insecticide combination with ethos. We inject air into it. We expand it 30 to 50 times. So what happens is you're putting 40 ounces of total carrier out on that acre, but it's equivalent in coverage to about 15 gallons of liquid. So a 130-gallon water tank that we mount on your tractor will treat 480 acres for rootworms. So that way you can fill up in the morning, and then you can plant all day. And like I said, if you want to try to protect against wireworms and grubs, along with saving that BT trait for rootworms, you know, I would actually throw two chemistries at planting time. I would use my BT trait, and then I would use something like Capture or Ethos along with that BT trait. We never use one trait against water hemp and palmer, so why do we always want to use one trait against rootworms? That, that, that doesn't make sense. I like common sense agriculture. No, I agree, and we're seeing more of the seed corn companies go to a 500 level of a neonic, and that's that's helping a little bit too on some of those traits. But on you know a lot of the conventional corn that's going out there, it's it's getting the lowest level of a neonic. It's getting no insecticide and no BT trait. And you talked about just how quickly these bugs can expand their populations. You can only do that for a few years, and you're going to start having a big problem. So you got to make sure you're ahead of that. Uh, and like you say, if you're not set up with something, the Thrive 3D system sure a way to go. We do have a lot of guys, though, that, that can put on in-furrow uh, liquid-type insecticides. And it was interesting this year, Bob. I know you've talked about Capture LFR and why you did that. We got a lot of calls from guys, hey, I'm having trouble mixing. And we asked what products they're using. And for the most part, it was some sort of a generic pyrethroid insecticide. So talk to us about uh, Capture LFR and some of these formulations that you've developed. Yeah, one of the things when we first came out with Capture was an EC, and ECs like to float in fertilizer. They don't like to mix with fertilizer. So it took a few years for our chemists to develop the LFR technology that's liquid fertilizer ready, and that stays suspended in the fertilizer. And as you know, fertilizer tanks don't have constant agitation. Basically, they've got bumpy ground agitation. And uh, the, fertil- the LFR platform of products, and it's Ethos and Capture right now, and then anything else that we're going to bring out, we'll put in the LFR too. That stays suspended very, very well. We do a lot of testing where we actually collect out of each row to determine if you're putting the proper amount of product out in each row. It's a fine thing. I know the Dosatron unit came out, and it injects the proper amount in of products. However, when we started checking each row, it wasn't the same amount coming out of each row. So you might have a lot of insecticide coming out of one row and very little coming out of other rows. So it's very key that you get products 
that will stay evenly suspended. You could put you know, surfactants in fertilizer and make it look like everything's suspended, but that active ingredient is what needs to be suspended in the fertilizer, not, not those surfactants that you put in. Yeah, it makes a big difference. All right. Hey, I got one uh, one more minute here, Bob, and I wanted to ask you about corn borer. We've got a number of guys have been sending us emails. Hey, I'm seeing some corn borers out there, uh, and I've, hear, I've heard about corn borers. Can you talk to us about what to be looking for and, and how to take care of that problem too? Yeah, corn borers, corn earworm, and southwestern corn borer, all three are starting to get through some of the BT genetics. So, you know, the second generation of corn borer, which is what will be coming in and boring into the, you know, the stalks of the corn, um, you really need something broad spectrum. The other thing, too, is if you're going after the adults, the Japanese beetles, and we forget about corn leaf aphid, which is at the top of the plant. People forget about looking for that. If you use something broad spectrum, something like a hero at four ounces, five ounces, um, it's going to do a very, very good job against the whole complex. Western bean cutworm is another one that's that, you know, uh, lepidopter type of insect that actually causes a lot of damage. The BT event's a nice event, but they have to feed, and if they open up the corn and they feed, a lot of times it'll drive your aflatoxin levels up, and you really want to kill them before they actually do any feeding. Yeah, got to be got to be active scouting, no doubt, this year. Been talking with Bob Hooten with FMC. Bob, thank you so much. Really appreciate all the info. No problem. Talking about corn rootworm on today's show, but also taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll be right back. Clean fields and higher yields start with a strong battle plan. For soybean growers, there's no stronger ally than Sonic Herbicide. When applied pre-emerge, Sonic has proven to defeat yield robbers like water hemp, mare's tail, and giant ragweed. With long-lasting residual control, it keeps fighting to defend your field from invaders. Visit BattleWeeds.com to plan your attack against weeds. Always read and follow label directions. Sir, yes, sir! You got in the field. Well done. That wasn't an easy task this year. Now give your corn everything it needs to get the job done this season. At Side Dress, adding agro liquid nutrients to your nitrogen can economically and efficiently boost potential. It's not too late to supply the nitrogen, potassium, sulfur, and boron your corn needs to reach top yields. We can help you develop a successful nutrition program for your corn. To learn more, visit agroliquid.com. Foliar sprays are only effective if you can get applied product into the plant. Nutex EDA is a micronutrient-based additive that delivers the foliar absorption boost you've been looking for. Nutex EDA supports rapid penetration and translocation of both nutrients and systemic crop protection within plants. Research trials have shown a 10 to 20% increase in nutrient absorption and higher tissue levels for a longer period, resulting in higher yields. Use Nutex EDA this season with all your foliar applications. No one has to explain stress to a farmer. That's like explaining wind shear to a pilot. Now, Mother Nature stresses corn the way markets, bankers, and politics can stress you. But there's a proven way to reduce stress. With Headline Amp Fungicide, you'll see the difference. It decreases stress from disease, drought, hail, and heat, so your corn can focus on what matters most, better yields. Talk to your local rep about Headline Amp Fungicide and BASF Plant Health. Always read and follow label directions. 
What if you could protect your soybean plants and reduce yield loss from white mold? Cobra herbicide can help you jumpstart the natural defenses in your soybean crop against the heavy yield loss white mold can cause. This season's wet weather, cool temperatures, high humidity, and moist soil are prime conditions for white mold. And Cobra is a cost-effective way for you to help protect your soybeans. Apply now to jumpstart your fight against white mold with Cobra herbicide. Visit your local retailer today to learn more. Always read and follow label directions. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, talking about corn rootworms on today's show, and it's been interesting. We've been getting some feedback too. Uh, we got Jeremiah Mullick on right now with BASF. Jeremiah, uh, getting questions about rootworms coming in, also questions about nematodes. Uh, where do you want to start today? Um, we can start on the the corn rootworm piece. I mean, that's the billion dollar pest that we face in corn. So, I mean, thanks for being on the show and. Uh, Happy to talk about corn rootworms as well as nematodes. Awesome. Awesome. Very good. Okay, so uh, let's get into the corn rootworms then because with the cool spring that we had, uh, we've got rootworm feeding going on right now. We're starting to see, as we go further south, some adult beetles coming out. But uh, for the rootworms that are on the roots right now, uh, what I guess what kind of advice are you giving to farmers that, that say, man, I, I'm just figuring out now that I've got a problem? Yeah, that's the challenge. I mean, with with these soil insects like corn rootworm, where that uh, that larva laid that previous year before, so they're coming in that previous year. So, thinking about corn rootworm management, crop rotations to reduce that that egg lay that previous year. So, um, and then partnering with uh, uh, insecticide traits for BT. Um, we do have areas where we're seeing a breakdown of the traits. And the integration of a feed treatment like Poncho 1250 at that 1.25 milligram rate um, provides that protection under that low to moderate uh, corn rootworm pressure, as well as protecting as, as from those other secondary insect pests. You know, the secondary bugs are are causing some more issues than than a normal year. It's been amazing to see how many wireworms are out there and and uh, seed corn beetles and and others this year. What is it about this year? Is it that we didn't get our tillage done last fall, or or is there some different factor that's just leading to more bugs? I think it could be um, partly that tillage piece as well into the the cool wet conditions, where you think you have warm growing conditions that corn or whatever it might be is able to grow out of any nibbling chewing that's going on below the ground so in these cool wet environments that uh, these insects are just continually nibbling on those roots and the plants just can't grow it out fast enough sure sure you know we're we're big fans of cover crops we're advising guys man if you didn't get acres planted this year at least get a cover crop out there so you get something living but unfortunately we're seeing in some of these cover crop fields there is a little more insect pressure uh is corn rootworm one that you're really more worried about following a cover crop or or how does that come into play i wouldn't suspect corn rootworm to be an issue there i mean they're typically drawn into corn fields um the adults are and that's where they like the eggs drawn into cornfields um, where they feed on the pollen, 
as the adults, and then they'll lay eggs in that field. Um, with the cover crops, I'd be worried about that terminating that green bridge. We break that gap for any above grounds, and uh, like we mentioned before, that secondary pest that could be there in that cover crop system to make sure we have a seed treatment on there to protect that that seed that's going in that following season after termination. Hey, we, we, we started talking just a little bit about nematodes too. And I, I wanted to ask you what work is BSF doing on nematodes and, uh, and what do we have to look forward to uh, in terms of managing them in, in crops like corn going forward? I mean, we're still uh, supporting and, and believe in the value of what uh, Poncho Votivo does. I mean, it's uh, the number one seed treatment with the Votivo in there, bringing that protection from nematodes. Um, as well, BASF, we have other nematicidal uh, products in our portfolio, uh, flupyrim, uh, seed treatment, uh, levo for soybeans predominantly, but um, there is opportunity that we could think about other crops uh, like corn um, if the value and, and need arise for a nematode product. But the key thing with a Votivo that we bring is that additional plant growth. So even if those nematodes uh, aren't necessarily causing and driving yield loss, we do to get that extra plant growth biomass response in the absence of that that heavy nematode pressure where a true chemistry might not bring that benefit yeah a lot of guys this year were talking about where do i make cuts going into the season we strongly encourage growers don't cut seed treatments and and like you mentioned uh some of these things we think about the poncho and we think about okay all these secondary insects but a lot of times we forget about the votivo that's coming along there that's going to help us out on, on nematodes. And then you mentioned Olivo, too. And we had a lot of growers this year that say, man, I'm concerned about sudden death syndrome. I'm going to use some Olivo. And they forget that's more than more than just a sudden death preventer. That's right. I mean, it's a, it's truly an amazing product and what it can do and bring that below-ground protection from that root rot that causes SDS where you can get those emotional symptoms above ground from SDS, as well as that broad-spectrum nematicide uh, for cysts, which you can't ever see that yield loss often occurring from soybean cyst nematode, but it's there, and Olivo's bringing that value. So I, I like to think of seed treatments not as a, a way to reduce cost, but as an investment to bring additional yield by protection and, and uh, to the grower. Absolutely. Uh, we've been talking with Jeremiah Mullick here with BSF. Jeremiah, any other comments you want to leave uh, leave the growers with here talking about insects and especially corn rootworms? Just uh, excited about uh, what we have in our portfolio to protect uh, from that corn rootworm pressure, secondary insect, and we have a, a very broad spectrum uh, that we can bring and bring yield and value to growers and growing corn as well as soybeans. Very good. Well, thank you so much, Jeremiah. I really appreciate having you on, and good luck here the rest of the growing season. Thank you. You too. All right, Alex, let's dive into the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag. All right, got the got the question that I knew would be coming. Uh, this one comes from Eric. He's over in Illinois, and he said, all right, talking about all these rootworm things, what are you guys actually doing on your farm? Well, I uh, appreciate the question. And, you know, one of the things that, that we look at on our farm is what's our crop rotation. Are we continuous corn? Are we uh, corn in a rotation with soybeans or is it something different? And primarily those are the, the two situations we find ourselves in. And I know if Brian's not in the studio today, but Brian would normally say, well, you know, if I'm in rotation with soybeans, I'm probably not as worried about rootworms as I, I would be otherwise. But the fact is we've got a lot of our neighbors that plant an awful lot of corn too. And these beetles do move around and they definitely do lay some eggs in the soybeans too. So for me, I'm always looking at it as, 
says, you know what? We have a lot of pressure in our area. I'm going to protect my crop. So where we're continuous corn, I definitely like using a stack trait. Uh, primarily, we're using smart stacks. Uh, and then I also like putting an insecticide. If we know we've got a heavy pressure field, uh, if we've done reduced tillage and we've uh, been corn on corn, or for sure using a full rate of an insecticide, whether that's a, a dry uh, like an Aztec or a force or a liquid like Capture LFR. Uh, and then in our rotated ground where we're corn and soybeans every other year, uh, those those acres, we may decide, you know what, we haven't had much for pressure here. We're going to run with uh, something like a VT double pro trait and just have above ground protection. But in those cases, we're using a full rate of insecticide in the furrow. What we found by having some insecticide in there each year is our pressure is just not as bad. And when I think Bob Hooten hit on this, he said, we see too many guys that look at pigweeds as a multiple mode of action kind of problem. But when they look at corn rootworms, they think, well, one mode of action will take care of everything, and we're just burning through modes of action quickly. Uh, we don't want to see that happen. We, even if we're using a BT trait for rootworm control, we'll still be using an insecticide too. And thanks for the question, Eric. We really appreciate that. Got one from Lucas here, and Lucas is over in Michigan. He said, what's the best method for removing horse nettle? I can't seem to control it with Roundup. Hey, thanks, Lucas. We really appreciate the, the question. And um, you know, it kind of depends on what crop. And you didn't mention where we're at here, but if you're using Roundup, I'm assuming it's not in grass areas. We do see some horse nettle in our area extending out into the grass, into pastures and fence lines and those kinds of things. In the pasture situation, we've had good luck with Milestone. Uh, and we have a lot of guys using like a graze on next and getting some 2,4-D in there also. We have had good luck with Cimarron over the years or Ally too. Uh, so it makes sense to me that chaparral could be an, uh, a decent alternative. Uh, I've had a couple of growers tell me they didn't feel like there was enough milestone in there and they wanted to spike in a little more or spike in a little 2,4-D with the chaparral. So uh, I guess you can see uh, you, you got some options there in pasture. In soybeans, I have liked Roundup in the past, but you've got to use a strong rate. And I think it might be a rate thing here why Roundup isn't working for you. But uh, other chemistry that we've used, uh, we've used first rate in, in soybeans, and it's been okay, not great. Uh, typically, we want to use either a Roundup or a Liberty. It's a perennial, so if Roundup could work at the high rate, that's what I would suggest. Uh, and then in corn, our best luck has been with status. Uh, that's a two-mode of action product with dicamba in there and also diflufenzapyr. Uh, so if you can use that... Um, in whatever crop you're in, that's what I would recommend too. Now, if you're raising produce and you just have a garden and you're trying to go in between the rows, my best bet would be Roundup. You aren't going to have any uh, uh, volatility with that. You're just going to have to worry about spray drift getting on your desirable crops because you're going to need a pretty concentrated droplet. I would say if I'm mixing up a hand sprayer, it's probably at a 20 to 1 uh, water to, to Roundup rate to get a good concentrated droplet to kill the horse nettle. Thanks for the question, Lucas. We really appreciate that. Thanks to everybody for listening today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio. Now stay tuned for Rob Sharkey and Shark Farmer Radio. <laughs>